Welcome to Music History Monday for July 19th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is V for Victory. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. On July 19, 1941, 80 years ago today, the BBC World Service began using the first four notes of Beethoven's Symphony No. 5 of 1808 as a linking device on its broadcasts into Nazi-occupied Europe. Why the BBC chose to use music by a German-born composer and what those four notes meant makes for quite a story. Background. The European phase of World War II began on September 1, 1939, when Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany invaded its neighbor to the east, Poland. The invasion had been made possible just eight days before, when the Soviet Union entered into a so-called non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany. It was an act that stunned the world. These, these two greatest enemies, these two most diametrically opposed political ideologies, fascism and communism, had made nice. Hitler and Stalin had cozied up, climbed into the sack, and done the fang with each other. The treaty was called the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, named for the foreign ministers, respectively, of the Soviet Union and Germany, who negotiated the thing, Vyacheslav Molotov and Joachim von Ribbentrop. The planned expiration date of the pact was August 23, 1949, ten years after its signing. Hardy freaking har har. Neither the Soviet leader Joseph Stalin nor the Nazi leader Adolf Hitler ever intended to honor the pact for that long. They were each just buying time until they believed themselves strong enough to invade the other. In the end, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact lasted for all of 22 months, when it was officially terminated on June 22, 1941, when Germany invaded the Soviet Union. Back, please, to the invasion of Poland on September 1, 1939. Treaty agreements obligated Great Britain and France to stand with Poland, and that's what they did. Both countries declared war on Germany on September 3, 1939. As I think we all know, soon enough things went poorly for France and her immediate neighbors. On May 10, 1940, Germany invaded France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Germany's victory was in no way assured. In terms of number of troops, France and Germany were equally matched. Germany had more airplanes, but the French had more tanks and artillery, the latter by a factor of two to one. Nevertheless, it was an epic rout. France formally surrendered, and the ceasefire went into effect on June 25, 1940, just 46 days after Germany had invaded. 
The casualty numbers tell the sorry tale. Germany suffered 163,676 total casualties, dead, wounded, and missing. That's 163,600. France suffered 2,260,000 casualties. The British Expeditionary Force, or the BEF, fighting alongside the French would have suffered equally catastrophic losses if not for Operation Dynamo, which saw 338,226 mostly English soldiers evacuated from the beaches at Dunkirk between May 26th and June 4th, 1940. Following France's capitulation, the great island nation of Britain was utterly alone. Though if Hitler and his staff had their way, not for long. Planning for Operation Sea Lion, the amphibious invasion of the British home islands, went into hyperdrive. But the English had something that neither France, Belgium, nor the Netherlands, all of which shared borders with Germany, had. The British had their moat, the English Channel. To get to Britain from the European continent, the German army would have to cross the English Channel, 21 miles wide at its narrowest point. This could only be achieved if, one, the German Navy could keep the British Navy busy in operations far away from the Channel, and two, if the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, had achieved total air superiority over the Channel. Since invading Poland, on September 1, 1939, the Germans had cakewalked through Poland, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, France, and the Netherlands. They expected Great Britain to quickly collapse as well. They expected wrong. In a speech delivered to the House of Commons on June 18, 1940, the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, 1874 to 1965, coined the name for the upcoming battle. Quote, what the French Minister of National Defense, General Wygant, called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Unquote. Churchill was correct. The initial German aim of the Battle of Britain was to destroy the British Air Force and thus achieve air superiority in preparation for Operation Sea Lion, the invasion of the British Isles, which was scheduled for October of 1940. But the invasion never happened because between July 10th and October 31st, 1940, the Royal Air Force, the RAF, gave the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, a thorough and for the Germans, shockingly unexpected spanking. As the air war that turned out to be the Battle of Britain raged, Winston Churchill recognized the tireless heroism of the RAF and Polish fighter crews in number 303 Squadron RAF when, in a speech at the House of Commons on August 20th, 1940, he declared, quote, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many 
to so few, unquote. Wow. Those words induce goosebumps to this day. And like so very many of Churchill's wartime statements, they inspired the British nation as few other things could. From that moment until the end of the war, the RAF was lovingly referred to by the Allies as the few. As it became clear that they could not and would not destroy the RAF Fighter Command and its infrastructure, Operation Sea Lion was called off and the Germans turned to terror bombing, massive nighttime air raids on Britain's cities. This was called the Blitz, and it ran from September 7, 1940 to May 11, 1941. Believing that Britain had at least been neutralized by the Blitz, which it most certainly had not been, Hitler compounded one fatal error with another by invading the Soviet Union on June 22, 1941. The Brits, who had stood virtually alone against Hitler and his Reich for a full year, heaved a sigh of relief. Germany had opened a two-front war and by doing so had sealed its eventual doom. The British propaganda machine went into high gear in that summer of 1941. Among its principal goals were, one, to sway American public opinion and by doing so get the United States into the war as soon as possible, and two, to disrupt the German occupation of continental Europe. In pursuit of the latter, the British broadcasting system, the BBC, created any number of propaganda and informational radio shows that were broadcast in various languages across the channel and into Western Europe. One of these shows was called London Calling Europe. Broadcast in English, London Calling Europe first aired on Sunday, July 6th, 1941. Every London Calling Europe show began with a stentorian announcement, This is London Calling! That announcement was immediately followed by the rousing and familiar strains of the famous Trumpet Voluntary.
For literally hundreds of years, the trumpet voluntary was attributed, incorrectly attributed, to the great English composer Henry Purcell, 1659 to 1695. It was, in fact, written by an English composer and organist named Jeremiah Clark, who lived from circa 1674 to 1707. Originally entitled Prince of Denmark's March, it was composed around 1700, well after Henry Purcell's death. On July 16, 1941, 80 years ago today, the BBC added a new musical hook to London Calling Europe. The opening four notes of Beethoven's Symphony No. 5 were used as a transitional element between stories. Why the opening four notes of Beethoven's Symphony No. 5? Because those opening four notes, short, 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 long, correspond to Morse code for the letter V, dot, 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 dash. And, thanks largely to Winston Churchill, the letter V had become symbolic for victory. Long before it was used as the peace sign man, Winston Churchill made the two-fingered V for victory a defining hand gesture that helped unite the British people during the worst days of the Battle of Britain and the Blitz. Although he gets credit for it, Churchill himself didn't dream the gesture up. Rather, it was created by a Belgian politician and government minister named Victor Auguste Lavallee, 1894 to 1945. After the defeat of Belgium, Lavallee fled to London, where he became the director of and served as an announcer on Radio Belgique, Radio Belgium, which broadcast from London back into occupied Belgium. It was in his capacity as director of Radio Belgique that Lavallee made the following announcement to occupied Belgium on January 14, 1941. Quote, I am proposing to you as a rallying emblem the letter V, because V is the first letter of the words victoire in French and vraiheit in Flemish. The victory will give us back our freedom, the victory of our good friends the English. Their word for victory also begins with a V. As you see, things fit all around. Unquote. A BBC European intelligence director named Jonathan Griffin was impressed with the propagandistic merits of the V for Victory thing. It could easily be signed using one hand and just as easily scrawled on a wall, even in the dark. It could represent both confidence and resistance. Visually, it was sharp, clear, direct, and instantly recognizable. Jonathan Griffin discussed this with his boss, the BBC European service organizer, John Lawrence. Lawrence, in turn, launched a campaign on the BBC, asking that the V for victory sign be taken up by the British people. One of those people who did so was Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Now, an important distinction, one understood by the British public, but a distinction, initially at least, that went right over Churchill's nearly hairless pate. 
A proper V for victory sign was made with the palm facing out. That's because for that portion of the British public in tune with digital colloquialisms, a V for victory sign made with the palm facing in meant fuck off slash stick it up your ass. We're all adults here, yes? We can handle this. Churchill, upper cruster that he was, didn't know this. So he was wont to give the V for victory sign with both palm facing out and with palm facing in. Soon enough, a member of Churchill's staff explained to the great man that making the sign with the palm facing inwards was impolite. Far from being dismayed or contrite, Churchill loved it. His secretary, John Colville, wrote in his private diary, quote, the PM, meaning the prime minister, the PM will give the V sign with palm in in spite of representations repeatedly made to him that this gesture has quite another significance, unquote. Well, that's because Churchill believed that every time he gave the victory sign incorrectly, he was also telling Hitler to put it where the sun don't shine. And really, isn't that what we'd all have liked to have told the Führer? Writes Jane Lavender, associate editor of the Daily Mirror, quote, the double meaning, V for victory, or stick it up the Germans, became part of the national consciousness and stuck for the rest of the war, unquote. Extrapolating forward then, we might surmise that the bright minds of the BBC were doing precisely the same thing when they chose to use the first four notes of what is the most famous German symphony to sonically represent V for victory over Germany. Three hip hip hoorays for this dash of British humor. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.